Happy Heart Month, everybody, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Dan's trusty sidekick, Deanna Norris. As Dan mentioned, it's Heart Month, so today we will be speaking with a Michigan Medicine expert about heart disease and what you can do to enhance your heart health. Now, before we get into that, be sure you go back and get caught up on any episode of The Wrap you may have missed, including last week's emotional episode about addiction and the stigma surrounding it. You can find all shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. Episodes are also released on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines we can review. And with that, let's get to the heart of the matter and bring in Dr. Monica Colvin, a clinical professor at the Frankel Cardiovascular Center. Dr. Colvin, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Now, first, can you talk about the most common types of heart diseases that we should be aware of? Well, sure. Well, first and foremost, coronary artery disease is uh, one of the most common types of heart disease. And I think many people have heard about coronary artery disease. It's a disease where um, cholesterol plaques are deposited within the arteries that supply the heart muscle. When these arteries become um, blocked, they can cause a heart attack. And um, it is the most common type of heart disease. It affects over 18 million adults. Um, other uh, common types of heart disease include heart failure. Heart failure occurs when the heart becomes weakened um, or stiff and is unable to effectively pump blood to the rest of the body. Other types of conditions include heart rhythm problems, such as atrial fibrillation, which is the most common type of heart rhythm problem. This is associated with high blood pressure, or as we get older, we become more predisposed to having atrial fibrillation. Heart valve problems are also a common type of heart condition. This happens when one of the one or more of the four valves in the heart uh, becomes damaged, and this can result in leaking or obstruction of the valve. And finally, congenital heart disease. Congenital heart disease refers to a type of heart disease that's present at birth, and this can involve the heart valve, the heart muscle, or even structural changes within the heart. So Dr. Colvin, what are some of the biggest risk factors for heart disease? Well, there are several uh, risk factors, but the top, let's say the top three would be high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking. And the reason I say the top three is because these are the most prevalent risk factors. Almost half of Americans have at least one of these risk factors, and some have even more uh, than uh, one. In addition, there are other um, important risk factors that we should know about. Diabetes is uh, very prevalent in the U.S. About 10% of the U.S. population has diabetes. Being overweight and obese is also a very important uh, risk factor. Over 40% of Americans um, are obese. Inactivity, not getting any physical activity, can lead to increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And finally, there are the things that we can't control, like our sex. Men have a higher risk of having heart disease. As we get older, we can't control our age, but as we get older, age becomes a risk factor for heart disease. And finally, our family history or our heredity. We can't control our genes, but that can also predispose us to having cardiovascular disease. All right, so we know about some of the risk factors. What are some of the signs and symptom, symptoms that we can look out for? And like you mentioned, sex has you know, a basis for these risk factors. Are there different signs and symptoms for men and women? 
very important questions. So first of all, let's talk about signs and symptoms. I think most people are familiar with chest pain. We all know that chest pain can signal a heart attack, and that's a symptom that we should all be aware of. But other important symptoms that can signal heart disease include shortness of breath, for instance, or if you find that with your normal activity, you're starting to feel out of breath or easily fatigued. Um, sometimes heart disease can present as fluttering or palpitations in your chest or a feeling of lightheadedness. And finally, another important uh, symptom would be swelling in the legs or ankles. This could be a sign of serious heart disease. Now, as far as whether or not presentations can be different in men and women, um, that's, that's a great question. So for many years, there was little known about heart disease in women, and some people didn't even believe it existed. But what we know now is that heart disease, similar to men, it's the leading cause of death in women as well. What we also know is that women may present with different symptoms than men. So let's go back to chest pain. We know that chest pain is a classical symptom of a heart attack, but it's also common for women to have other types of symptoms, what we call non-classical symptoms, such as shortness of breath, back pain, or indigestion without actually having chest discomfort. And these symptoms can signal a heart attack in women. So it's really important to be aware of the differences in presentation of heart disease in women. Thank you, that's really important information. Um, and you touched on this a little bit already, but can you talk more about the impact that genetics and family history have on heart disease? Sure. Well, many uh, cardiac conditions can be inherited. So uh, rhythm problems can be inherited, for instance, cardiomyopathy, which can cause heart, heart, um, heart failure. High cholesterol can have a familial component and so can congenital heart disease. We also know that coronary artery disease and heart failure can run in family, which suggests that there are inherited genetic factors at, at play. Our understanding of genetics continues to grow um, we know that genes can impact a variety of cardiac conditions because genes control every aspect of cardiac function. So a variation in even a single gene can increase the risk of having certain types of heart disease. And then these genetic variations can be passed on um, through the DNA from parents to children and subsequently through families. So while we can't know every gene that causes heart disease, um, it is important that if you're aware of a gene that runs in your family or if you have a strong family history, that you make your uh, physician aware uh, so that you can also be screened for um, potentially inherited cardiac disease. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So my next question now, I, I think is very timely. Obviously, the pandemic has caused a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety for people over the last two, almost two plus years at this point. How does stress tend to affect your heart health? Well, I think stress is one of those things we probably don't discuss enough, um, but we know it's there. We know it's bad for us, but um, stress can be very bad on the heart. It can have a, a significant impact on the heart. And there's a scientific rationale for that. Stress can increase heart rate, can increase blood pressure, and these things can cause the heart to work harder, which then contributes to a variety of cardiac conditions. Um, some people who experience extreme stress can have pretty serious cardiac complications. So it's important to recognize the negative impact of stress, um, not only on your mental health, but also on your physical health and cardiac health, um, to recognize your own personal stressors 
and then speak with your physician if there are significant stressors on how to alleviate, alleviate stress in order to um, decrease some of the negative impact. And, and that leads perfectly into our next question, which is what kind of lifestyle changes can be helpful to improving heart health? What would be your top recommendations? So, um, well, I think there are, the, first of all, the American Heart Association um, recommends uh, the simple seven, seven steps to improving uh, your cardiovascular health. And that would be managing blood pressure as number one. Um, blood pressure is considered the silent killer. And when it's not controlled, it can lead to um, heart attacks, strokes, and kidney disease. So it's really important to learn more about what your target blood pressure is. If you have high blood pressure, be sure to take your medications as prescribed. Never stop um, medications without uh, your physician's input. And if you don't have high blood pressures, high blood pressure, take measures to prevent that from happening. Um, the other um, lifestyle changes or other things that we can do to improve our cardiovascular health would be to control cholesterol. Where for those of us who um, have high cholesterol, medications may be the answer, but there are other ways. So first of all, cholesterol is, um, produced by the liver, but it's also present in the food that we eat. So we can take measures such as um, um, starting a healthy diet, eating fewer uh, saturated fats, um, eating more plant-based diet or, or lean proteins or lean animal proteins, for instance. And um, we can become more active. Exercise is another way that we can improve our heart health and decrease um, cholesterol levels. Reducing blood sugar is another thing that we can do if you're diabetic, obviously um, taking medications as prescribed, but also again, adopting a healthy diet, increasing activity levels can help to prevent the onset of diabetes. I've mentioned activity many, many times, so I won't go into a lot of depth there, but um, getting active is really essential. And um, maybe I will go into it a little bit. Um, Physical activity can increase um, your longevity and your quality of life, and it um, decreases inflammation, it improves blood flow, it improves cellular function. So um, it really makes sense that becoming more active can improve our cardiovascular health. And what's recommended for adults is 150 minutes of moderate exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise over a week's uh, period. So that doesn't mean all of a sudden do 150 minutes of exercise at once unless you're able to do that, but that can be spread out over time. Um, physical activity can reduce cardiovascular, work, car cardiovascular risk by up to 40% and it's never too late to start. So if an adult um, has spent many years being inactive, they can um, also reverse their cardiovascular risk. So I have to throw that in there. Um, healthy diet we've discussed and losing weight. This is the, the really tough one. Um, the simple math of losing weight is you have to burn more calories than you eat. And there are ways to calculate that online, but the recommended daily caloric intake is about 2000 calories for men, 1500, I'm sorry, 2000 for women, 2500 for men and lower if you're trying to lose weight. So just take that into account. I think activity trackers, uh, uh, food journals are all very, help um, helpful when you're trying to lose weight. And finally, and this is a really big one, don't smoke. Um, tobacco use is uh, the most preventable cause of death in the US. Um, we know that a third of all deaths due to heart attack and 90% of deaths due to lung cancer 
are attributable to tobacco use. And so not just cigarette use, but e-cigs and vapes, they all have toxic chemicals. So it's really important that if you smoke, that you quit. And if you're not smoking, don't start smoking. Um, decreasing or stopping can reduce your risk of heart disease by half within one year of stopping. So it's not a thing where you have to wait an entire lifetime. Again, it's never too late to make a change. Um, personally, my favorite recommendations are adopting more of a plant-based diet, decrease meat intake, activity I've mentioned, um, not smoking I've mentioned, but also finding ways to relax and getting healthy amounts of sleep. Interesting. So you've thrown out a lot of recommendations, a lot of information here. You know, unfortunately, I think some of our listeners may think that a lot of these suggestions don't really apply to them, but I know that's not really the case. What age should people really start having their cholesterol and heart health checked? Great question. So when we're screening for heart disease, we really are screening for risk factors and ways that we can improve those. So cholesterol being one of the big risk factors um, should start early. So it has been recommended that children should be screened between the age of nine and 11, actually. And then at age 20, uh, people should be screened every five years thereafter. Once we're older, say when men reach 45 years of age and women reach 55 years, it's recommended that cholesterol is checked every two years. But many times this is modified by the presence of other risk factors. So if you um, have diabetes, for instance, you'll likely have your cholesterol checked a lot more frequently than that. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Colvin, for sharing all this great information and these tips today. But your work isn't quite finished yet. It's time for the lightning round when we ask our guests four quick fire questions. So are you ready? Okay. <laughs> All right. Now we talked a lot about the impact stress can have on your health. So what's your favorite way to decrease stress in your life? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I love yoga, but what I'll say is lately crosswords. Nice. I like that. <laughs> All right. And we also talked about food. So what is one meal that you could eat every day for the rest of your life? I imagine we're talking healthy meals. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> That's up to That's you. exactly what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Let me think about that one. <laughs> That's a tough oh. question. <laughs> Do you know, one of my favorite meals is um, a, Korea, a Korean meal. And it's basically tofu stew. Oh, and nice. Probably something I cook every week. And sometimes I want to eat it twice a week, but. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're, let's, let's change gears a little bit. So the Oscar nominees came out last week. What's your favorite movie of all time? Um, of all time? <sighs> we stumped you. Yes, you did. I'm trying to think of something that I've seen recently that I love. <laughs> But I'll go back to my old favorite, which is The Untouchables. <laughs> All right, very good. And if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? I would go to, right now, it's so many places that I want to go. Um, I would go to Morocco. That's an interesting choice. I don't think I've heard, we've asked that question a few times and I don't think we've heard anyone answer Morocco. So I like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Colvin, for being a great sport today, providing important information and tips for our listeners. If you want even more heart healthy tips, head on over to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. 
And while you're there, you can find the heartwarming featured stories from this week. For instance, on Valentine's Day, heart patients shared their journey at Michigan Medicine, and later readers got the inside look at Valentine's Day celebrations at Michigan Medicine. Find all that and more on mmheadlines.org. All right, Deanna, now we're talking about travel. And, and last week, we also had asked Dr. Fred Blow, who was on our podcast, where was the most interesting place he had ever traveled? Not where did he want to go? And he mentioned actually Beijing, where the Olympics are being held right now. Uh, but I ask you, what's the most interesting trip you've ever been on? You know, I would have to say the most interesting destination I've been to is Costa Rica. Um, and that was for a lot of different reasons. It's a beautiful country with mountains and, and beaches and rainforests and a lot of interesting wildlife. You know, there are monkeys swinging in the trees outside of your hotel room and little um, Cotamundis, I think they are, that are little raccoon-like creatures <laughs> that are more friendly than I would have liked. Um, <laughs> but then also the, the culture is pretty amazing, beautiful, really colorful, intricate artwork. Um, and, you know, we visited the Sarchi, which is the town where they still manufacture ox carts that are painted so beautifully. So I think that was probably one of my favorite trips ever. How about you, Dan? Well, now you've made me want to go to Costa Rica, so I'm going to plan that trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, it was probably uh, in at the end of my high school career, I actually went with my family to Seville, Sevilla in Spain. And that was amazing. Um, the architecture, the history there. Uh, we also went to Paris and London as part of that trip. And, you know, what I loved about it, I'm, I'm, I've said it before on the podcast, but I'm totally a history nerd. And, you know, when you talk about history around here, it's, you know, oh, this building's 100 years old or 80 years old. But then you go to Europe and things are thousands of years old. It's really uh, amazing. Right. Um, so I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So I absolutely loved it. Uh, from a uh, disability perspective, it was not the most successful place in the world, but they've had 20 years now to, to update themselves. <laughs> but that was for sure the most interesting place that I've been. Well, it sounds like it's time for you to go back again. And That's see right. If they've made those updates. I'll test it out. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so it's time for the weekly trivia contest. And last week we asked listeners, what was the name of the resident who helped deliver a baby boy on a flight from Ghana to the U.S.? The answer is Dr. Stephen Ansaado. Congratulations to Kate Crawley, who sent in the correct answer. And now for this week's question, here's Dan. All right. Now this week's question is, earlier in the week, headlines featured the faculty and staff who make up the CICU. What does CICU stand for? Once again, what does CICU stand for? Once you know the answer, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. And that's all the time we have today. Thanks again, Dr. Colvin, for joining us. And thanks as always to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.